Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. I didn't say Packer again. No, you can't repeat the same joke. Plus, it would be indicative of the fact that we didn't hear it as much in the two episodes of The Invasion, episodes five and six that we just watched. That's true. It was uh, episode uh, five was a three-packer episode, <laughs> I believe, and episode six was, I think, maybe three or four. I was I was eating chicken from Nando's, so again, when I'm when I'm eating, I'm not counting as as closely. Packer is not featuring as much in the last couple of episodes because um, Tobias Vaughn perhaps wisely chooses not to use him for important tasks. So perhaps there are, aren't as many important tasks anymore because the Cybermen are starting to take over. Also, the narrative has shifted a little bit and we're seeing a lot of you know the, the good guys and what they're trying to put into motion, um, starting to figure it out, uh, especially toward the end of episode six there. The Doctor has, has really kind of got got things sussed and they're they're working on their plans from the other other side so like the first four episodes are very much um seeing what Vaughn is doing and wondering about it whereas now it's uh seeing what our folks are doing Mm -hmm. mostly um doing ill-advised spelunking trips into the sewer to take blurry photos and running off to the laboratory to use microscopes I have such mixed feelings about Isabel and her place in this story. Like, I love her as, you know, the companion's companion. I think she is super, super great when she is being the swinging 60s photographer, you know, just trying to make her way in the world. But I feel like uh, the performance is really kind of one note. Like, that note is fantastic. I love that note. But then when she's supposed to be contrite and, like, sorry about the soldier, I don't buy it at all. Like, she's still acting kind of pretty much just the same. She doesn't seem like she's actually sorry at all. I know the character is supposed to be. I just feel like the performance sort of lets the character down at that point. Maybe the character doesn't either. Mm. Oh, no. I don't want to think that. I think she's just one of this disaffected youth these yabos running around and not unaware of the consequences that their actions have oh i think she's aware of the consequences i think if she doesn't care she's just a sociopath i maybe she's not um i i think that she is in over her head and she doesn't quite realize how far until somebody dies yeah. like she sees that there's a soldier who is dead so that's you know if she's if she doesn't feel bad at that point then yes she is a sociopath that's why i i choose to believe that it is the performance that is lacking uh, and not that the character just doesn't care that she was responsible for the death of actually a couple people because the cop also died mm-hmm. um but uh the the mixed feelings that i sort of have about it from a story perspective are there are plenty of times in Doctor Who where somebody wants to try to help, so they rush in and get in over their head. And so, like, that part, I think you're right. At the beginning, mm-hmm. she doesn't know how far in over her head she is, and she doesn't, you know, entirely believe in this whole idea of Cybermen because, you know, that she, it is a lot to swallow, mm-hmm. uh, as they say. So I don't really have a problem with her being sort of pig-headed and just running off to try to do something, but I don't sort of like the way that it's it's framed sort of like a morality play around feminism. She's she's a feminist and she has this, you know, little mini showdown with the brigadier who, to be fair, that was a stupid thing to say, Brig. Like, I mean, it's perfectly within character and I'm not upset at the uh, at the writing for that. I just I just get annoyed because the reason that she shouldn't go down 
uh, into the sewers and try to chase Cybermen is not because she's female, although mm. maybe the brig does also believe that. It's because she's untrained. She's not a soldier. Jamie shouldn't be running around down there any more than she should either. So the fact that it's really hinging on the on her being mad at the brigadier and calling him anti-feminist and a cretin and, and all of that you man yeah exactly like it's it's really built up around that and then the consequences are genuinely terrible that that is one of the things that makes me uncomfortable about this story and it just feels really really outdated also um the uh <laughs> What was the other? What was the other thing I said? There were two things that made it feel like a morality play. If you there's a, a one of the soldiers runs. Says you, That's right. Somebody who calls him a coward. I couldn't remember now. I called him a coward. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I thought he was called a coward on screen. Well, uh, uh, maybe he was. Perkins was his name. Oh, Perkins, of course, Perkins. But uh, but yeah, so he gets up and tries to run run away. He doesn't stand his ground with the other brave soldiers, right. and the Cyberman kills him. So you know, in, in this little little corner of the story here, we do have a couple of of sort of like <laughs> moral value judgments that are being very clearly displayed for us that I don't necessarily know I uh, agree with. But well, it is 1968. Mm-hmm. It is. It it sure is. Yeah, it's only like 20 odd years after World War II ended when. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people, oh, dare you, you stand fight. Don't be a coward and all that. That's what they would say. Right, because <laughs> that's how they got by. And uh, I just want to say that it was, who was it that encouraged um, Isabel to actually go down to the sewers? Oh, yeah, it was Zoe. Yeah. Zoe, who also young, and she's really sort of leaning into this impetuous side that is developing. She she's been radicalized. <laughs> she has. I mean, she went. She destroyed a computer all by herself yeah. earlier, and she's just got a taste of power. I think she wants to. This is what happens when you put two women together. Jeez. Chaos. Mm. I don't like it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. See, that's, that's I'm the 1968 television viewer. Here is what I'm doing. I'm doing a bit. Oh, I oh I get it. I get that it's a bit, but I can't help rolling my eyes even. Oh, well, I'm rolling my eyes while I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know, I know. But, but Jamie does accompany them, and mm-hmm. you know, and he's just like me there by saying, "Oh, you know, he's right though. Men are better than women." Oh, well, yep. He would think that too. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, and then when they're in the sewers, he's constantly trying to get them to leave, which is the smart thing who jamie is yep mm-hmm. he is uh yep and then somebody dies and they can't can't kill the cyber they managed to take out two of them with grenades but the uh the fearful one mm-hmm. can stand up to more grenades i guess fear um is a is a superpower <laughs> i guess as doctor <laughs> who will say in some 50 years time yeah. yep there you go yeah i do i do like the idea of emotions as a weapon, um, and as I was, I was saying, this story very much leaves, leads, lays, that's the word I'm looking for, right. lays the groundwork for closing time, which happens many years later. Right. Many people complained about uh, Craig defeating the Cyberman uh, conversion conversion uh, with the power of love, mm-hmm. but this story makes it absolute 100% canon that any kind of emotion being inflicted upon Cybermen screws them up. So I have I have to think that, you know, targeting them from the outside with a weapon like this, mm-hmm. 
you know, that's an effective way to do it. <clears throat> Targeting them from the inside with uh, with Craig's great deep love for his son is uh, would be even more powerful and more useful. The, the only problem I have with that is the idea that every single other person who was converted into a Cyberman didn't love somebody enough. Morality play once again. <laughs> yep. Everybody else who was converted, all of those people in the... Um, was it the uh, army of ghosts? <laughs> yes. Doomsday? Yeah. <clears throat> Everybody else that got converted, they just didn't have deep enough emotions, so it was really their own fault. I think they actually didn't. Uh, doc- <laughs> Doctor Who switch off uh, the emotions or switch on the emotions in uh, uh, Rise of the Cybermen as well and Age of Steel from that same season. I think so. I don't remember those I'm, stories very well. I haven't seen it in a while, but I think I, that's what happened. But, mm, could yeah. be. Anyway, um, yeah, I just find that that's an interesting thing that you have this scientist who's trying to create a teaching machine that also creates emotions Mm -hmm. um sure whatever yeah um the sewer scene in general as a whole dougie canfield is a great director i find that is not one of his strongest bits because i am so every time i watch that i'm confused at the geography of it because they jamie and zoe and isabel climb down the ladder and go to the right Mm -hmm. And then they eventually are looking to the left and then there's a siren coming and they cut to a different one and it's like, it's all over the place. And then even at the end there, like there's some sort of like tranquil music as like a siren sort of pops up and grabs Jamie's leg. There's no great sense of urgency there. I thought it was, it was a weird kind of dissolve to it as well. So that was a bit of a weird experience. And also (laughs) there's, there's Jimmy, Captain Turner, uh, you know, as everyone's climbing up out of the sewer, he tells Jamie, keep a lookout. Like he tells the civilian, I'm going to go up, you keep a lookout, and then you come up last, which is what happens. My headcanon is that he's super, super upset because one of his soldiers died. So he 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 can't quite bring himself to take it out on the women because they're women. Right. So, you know, Jamie went along with them and didn't stop them. So... He's, you know, passive aggressively getting back at them by just leaving Jamie to be on watch in case there's another siren. And Jamie almost dies for it. He does. I suppose there's there's greater uh, peril in having a companion being attacked by a cyberman as opposed to just some no-name squatty uh, like Benton who... Mm-hmm. Well, he had a name, I guess, yeah. but you know, but Jamie's the last one up, and he's the one whose leg gets grabbed by the Cyberman. Yep, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of the direction, there's also some very abrupt cutting that goes on, mm-hmm. um, it, just like real crash cuts. Which, it, because the rest of this story is not edited that way, it's very jarring. I think if it happened more often, it would become like just style, but. Because that's because it only happens like two or three times. It's very uh, like I just have you know kind of whiplash because mm-hmm. you have uh, you have the the brigadier saying you know should we go and rescue the scientist guy Professor Watkins? Yeah. Uh, the, the doctor's like yeah we should because then maybe he can help us out. And then boom, crash cut to uh, Gregory. Is that his name? Gregory. Yeah, Gregory explaining what happened <clears throat> to Vaughn, saying you know there were thirty of them. There's nothing we could do. And then. Vaughn dressing him down and saying, you know, you don't, you're out of time or whatever. And then crash cut to him running through the sewers and being killed by a Cyberman, which it just, it didn't work for me. I, I think in 
a story where that happened more regularly. Like it, it felt modern, but that modern modernity felt out of place in this story. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. It uh, the the original um, script had a big action sequence where the the ambush actually is seen. There's a big gunfight, and Gregory actually dies in that gunfight as they rescue. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Professor Watkins, but they ran out of time to shoot it, mm-hmm. and so they hastily wrote a new scene in, having Gregory survive to be able to tell the tale of what happened. Mm-hmm. And then you're right, like, the, and then uh, Vaughn says, "But you have no time." And boom, it's like mm-hmm. almost like he almost cuts off that line in a yeah. way because editing videotape in 1968 was a mm-hmm. tricky thing. Yep. Yeah, and I understand that, and I do actually appreciate the. Uh, the the use of cutting from one thing to the next to, to skip a big expensive action sequence. I didn't even realize that there was supposed to be one. I thought maybe that was just a, a money-saving measure. I just, you know, had, had it been me, I would have framed it a little bit differently and, you know, I don't know, cut to black or something like that, dissolve down, dissolve back up rather than just a crash cut. From... From the let's go get Professor Watkins. Let's, mm-hmm. I kind of liked that. I liked that jump cut because it it starts off as a close up on Gregory's beaten and despectacled mm-hmm. face. So we didn't even rec- you didn't even recognize it because you recognized by the glasses before, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Yep, they all look alike to yeah. me. All those white men. I, li- I like that it starts off like you immediately know. Okay. It didn't go well for Gregory because he's got bruises and bloodied and his glasses are gone, probably broken in this in this fight. And he looks very distressed and he's getting dressed down by Vaughn. And so I actually do like that bit of direction because you can tell instantly what's happened. Uh, and then he just sort of explains the details and everything. But you get the, the basic gist of what happens. See, I was confused. I didn't oh. know instantly what happened. Also, because every time we'd seen him before, he was wearing a white lab coat and his glasses. And this yeah. time it was it was neither. I think the white lab coat is underneath. Uh, like a, He's got like an outer coat. An on. overcoat, if you will. Yes, that's the word I was looking for. So, yes, yeah, so I was actually confused by that. That's oh. that's why I didn't, didn't like that. If I would have understood right away, then, yeah, that would be very elegant. But uh, I didn't recognize him. I see. Um, there's Cybermen. Um, it, this is, it, it's weird because the Cybermen in this story, perhaps more than any other, are very much like drones, you know? Mm-hmm. Like Packers ordering them around. They're just sort of like, they barely speak. They are affected by this machine and go off mm-hmm. crazy. Um, I don't know, how do, you, how do you feel about the Cybermen in this? Yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about that, but in the other stories that we have seen so far they're very you know they're people but i feel like in every story they're less peopley <laughs> to yeah. some extent mm-hmm. um I, I guess in uh, tomb of the cybermen they're not they don't have a lot in terms of specific personality no because they have the uh focal point of the to- uh cyber leader there kind of like vaughn is here is actually more or less the, the cyber leader in a way he's a focal point here yeah, and he is somewhat cyberized. I actually really love that scene with the gun and uh, Professor Professor Watkins, mm-hmm. you know, giving him and and you know you think oh he's not going to do it he's not going to shoot him because he's a he's a you know a, a good ethical man or whatever, mm-hmm. but then he totally does and because Kevin Stoney wallops Ed- Edward Burnham. Wow, that was a slap. That was a punch. I don't like that that connected that was big the, the slap he gives them that like you know, I, can, I can understand edward burnham the actor sort of i'm gonna shoot you for real for that 
Yep. Oh, that's a, that's a great scene, and just the the sheer cockiness on mm-hmm. on Vaughn's face. You know, at at first you think it's because he knows that the the professor won't do it, but then later you realize, oh no, he doesn't care if the professor does it or not. Either way, he wins. Like he feels like he's holding all the cards, which. He still is trying to tell himself he's holding all the cards by the end of episode six, but uh, it's clear he doesn't, and it seems like he might be losing it a little bit. I think he not only, um, it's a great scene for many ways, but he wants him to shoot, because he wants to show the professor that he holds all the cards. And what I like about it is you can tell it's not a planned thing, because the two guards, and especially Packer, like immediately retreat to the back of the room behind <laughs> mm-hmm. the professor, hoping not to get shot, like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Like, <laughs> this was not expected. This is this has gone too far. Mm-hmm. They're they're as terrified of the situation as, as Watkins is. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, it shows that, you know, they may work for Vaughn, but they don't quite understand him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, clearly Vaughn is the only one that has been like cyberized because otherwise the the guards and Packer wouldn't be so frightened because mm-hmm. they would also be all cocky about about some guy wa- waving a gun around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some other great um, Vaughn moments in there because he's still he's still got that smarm. Mm-hmm. I like when he's like they're testing the Cerebriton mentor. Uh, and they says, you know, bring it a, you know, uh, use it on the thing, just enough to bring it out of his shell. He's sort of like just cocoon. cocoon that's what it was <laughs> the word cocoon. Just the, he just so gently says that. Oh, he's just such a great performance. I'm watch. I love watching him. It just it, it looks like Kevin Stoney is having such a good time, and Vaughn is having such a good time. Mm-hmm. He is on top of the world. He is going to be in charge of the world. He is getting everything he has ever desired, and it's all because he is so clever and so powerful, and he is just full of himself mm-hmm. and it really is a delight to watch yeah one of the truly great guest performances in doctor who history we're watching here mm-hmm. um and then and then there's the invasion the actual by the end of episode six <laughs> the title of the story finally comes true with uh another one of the most iconic scenes in television history that being of course the radio free scarrow intro to the 2016 gallifrey one because we walked down for those that don't know we we did a thing in london and we we walked around various famous landmarks and we purposely walked uh down uh, the steps of saint paul's cathedral because that's where the cybermen walked in the invasion yep mm-hmm. i was i was there i saw it happen yeah uh, you guys not the cybermen mm-hmm. i was i wasn't there for that no but it was cool boy what a what a i you know a lot of people from a certain generation remember the yeti in the underground uh, as being a big thing and I bet you they probably remember the Cybermen walking down the steps of St. Paul's Cathedral because it was rare in Doctor Who in those days to have monsters, Doctor Who monsters who were scary to begin with then walking around casually almost conquering heroes of, of famous London landmarks and what kind of a, a visual that would have left been left in a child's eyes for the for a week after the cliffhanger ended. And it is legitimately amazing. Mm-hmm. Like it just looks so cool. I there's there's a reason that this is one of the most iconic moments in Doctor Who history. It because 
because it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just is. Yeah. They recreated it for um, uh, the uh, death of dark water, death in heaven, basically. They're sovereign cutting coming out of St. Paul's. I mean, it's because of this episode that they, they saw fit to do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, probably with fewer cybermen, though, because they had to build eight or nine cybermen for this. Um, which means they can only show eight or nine because it didn't have the benefit of computer graphics, but I thought it looked pretty good. I mean, honestly, that whole sequence, I think it's really effective. It's not just the shot of uh, of St. Paul, which, you know, that's the apex, but also the people who are, uh, you know, falling down and uh, the guy who, you, you said you thought it was Derek Sherwin in the car? I, I thought it was Derek Sherwin who's collapsed on the steering wheel. I, it kind of looks like him, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was. But that gives you then the audio of the, the car horn just yeah. going on and on, which is, you know, that's that's kind of a staple of zombie movies and apocalypse movies and stuff like that, you know, somebody passing out mm-hmm. on, the, on the car horn. But I, I have always found that to be a really effective sound effect. And at the same time, you have that, the audio of, of the sort of like pulsing, whining, humming sound, which is, it's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you just see Cybermen marching mm-hmm. and people falling down yeah. and then just staying down. And it's, yeah, I, I, I love that sort of thing. It kind of reminds me a little bit of um, one of my favorite opening sequences for any TV miniseries yeah. is uh, of The Stand, mm-hmm. Stephen King's The Stand, which in that case, it's uh, Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult playing over a whole bunch of people dying and then just lying there dead, uh, which that, like at the time I'd never seen anything like it. And this kind of reminds me of that a little bit in the sort of the shiver that I get from it and mm-hmm. the amount of of awe that I feel in my bones when I think about this as a thing that's happening. And I mean, it's at the end of the sixth episode of a a great big story. So, I mean, and they, as we have talked about, they're not boring episodes. Like, so it feels like you've really worked up to it. You have, we've earned this (laughs) and it just makes it all the more amazing. It does. Oddly enough, um, that, that scene is, I've seen that a lot because I saw a clip of a clip of it. <laughs> I'll explain. Um, there was a TV program, I think, called Do You See? I don't know what it's like, a public affairs program that aired on the BBC. And in 82, uh, after the after Earthshock aired, I believe they did a, like a segment on Cybermen and stuff. And they showed a couple clips and stuff, one of the one of Earthshock and then one of that, that exactly the, the climax of episode six. I didn't see that in 82, obviously, but I, they used that clip of that clip <laughs> in the making of Doctor Who, which they was a PBS special around the making of Silver Nemesis, mm-hmm. which I saw back in 1988. And so I watched that sequence countless times because <laughs> I thought it was the, like, it was just, what is this Doctor Who story where these Cybermen come down St. Paul's Cathedral? And that sound, whenever I hear it, is just like, it just, it's, that's why... I, I could I could hum it mm-hmm. or recreate it I guess because it's been playing as in the soundtrack on my mind for like the past thirty years, um, and then when I finally saw the invasion like literally twenty years later it's like oh wow this is where that's from I'm finally seeing the whole <laughs> sequence together as opposed to just the the few shots that I saw in that TV special. That's really cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I like uh, a lot of. It's funny actually when we when we get to the crotons, uh, there's a random scene in there. That for the same reason is was featured in a PBS documentary was like my first ever viewing of Patrick Troughton ever, 
Um, I know. So that was kind of a cool moment. So whenever that happens in the Crotons, I, I get very um, happy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's sweet. It is. Uh, any anything else about the episodes five and six of the invasion you want to cover? Uh, Zoe's back in her sparkly uh, jumpsuit, catsuit. That's right. Somebody asked us on Twitter what happened to the what happened to her catsuit. I I guess she changed out of it into the clothes that Zoe that Isabel gave her. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. Um. As uh, <clears throat> Steve Manfred, friend of the show, Steve Manfred yeah. pointed out on Twitter that he he thinks there's a an error with the animation that they have Zoe wearing um, the clothes that Isabel gave her before Isabel actually gives her yeah. clothes, which I, I, I think Steve's right because, because yeah, once they get to the point where they're looking for the neuristers and they're trying to make the little disruptor things mm-hmm. or whatever, like she changes back into her own clothes, which I, I kind of like that. Like, you know, she's like, all right, it's really truly action time. Yeah. We're taking on the Cybermen who, you know, Zoe knows how bad they are and how how serious things are so she's getting back into her her own clothing which is a lot more um practical Mm -hmm. than what she was wearing to be a model that's true and it probably matches what she wore in earlier location filming as well (laughs) there's often a practical reason to these things make sure she changes back into her film costume which we filmed seven weeks ago so that we can Ensure continuity is thing. Yeah, I seem to recall now a, a drawing of her in the TARDIS, like in the opening scenes of Episode One, and she was wearing. She might have been wearing the feather boa. Come to think, but I could be wrong about that. But yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So you've got the doylist side. I've got the Watsonian. That's this podcast in a nutshell. Also, Jamie likes to sleep a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, Jamie can sleep through anything. Uh, he also likes to eat. Yeah. Although I, 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 it makes me laugh that uh, the very, very pretty girl walks in and tries to wake him up. She literally touches him and shakes him and yeah. nothing. And the doctor from across the room says his name and boink, he perks, he perks right up. They are just like OTP. That's the, the the doctor and Jamie. They just, yeah, they love each other. They belong together. Mm-hmm. Yep, they yeah. really do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, hey, this is great. We've uh, we've like we're almost done the invasion. Um, may- maybe by tomorrow night, because it's a weekend, and it's my birthday weekend. Mm-hmm. We'll f- we'll finish the invasion. Maybe. Possibly. <laughs> well, who knows? There's never <laughs> any promises. Because as I said before, we're trying to get through the Trout era before Verity tackles season seven of of Doctor Who. So uh, I'm I'm pretty pleased. Uh, that we're we're on this nice little clip, and I'm also enjoying watching this this story again um, with you. It's it's a good one. I'm mm-hmm. having fun. Me too. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.